Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special episode of Ignite Radio Live. We're very blessed on this adventure to go deeper into the heart of Christ's Mass. And in tonight's special program, it's a double feature, uh, at the front end, you're going to hear a very powerful talk by Deb Herbeck, which took place at the Catholic Business Network, inspiring us all to what is most fundamental in this culture, in our marriages and families, to live this faith fully, the critical time we are in right now. She identifies some of the fundamentals that maybe some of us have lost track of, but so important for us to reconnect What is the Christian story? How is it so important for us to know it, to be living it with the capacity to communicate it? So she rearticulates that. I think for all who are present, we're very moved by that. Followed by a really wonderful short homilet, you might say, by Father Mike Dandrin at our first of three Presents for Christmas events. We are journeying with our Blessed Mother through the first three Joyful Mysteries, three consecutive Wednesdays, presentsforchristmas.com. Also a quick commercial, at the end of this year, we do ask you to please partner with us to foster that culture of encounter with Christ in our marriages and in our families. We're all about that. In the last eight years, our media has been seen by over a million people. Over 40,000 people have participated in our events. At the heart of all this, we provide a live it gathering guide, a very easy way for families and groups to talk and pray based upon the Sunday readings. Find out more at ilovemyfamily.us and please consider partnering with us to make this possible at massimpact.us forward slash partner. Again, massimpact.us forward slash partner. With no further ado, on with our program. Good morning, and welcome to another Catholic Business Network. My name is Mike McCartney, and I am a blessed member of this diocese, specifically St. Joan of Arc Parish. Our speaker this morning has canvassed the country, sharing her amazing faith journey from Judaism to Christianity, and finally, right into the heart of the Catholic Church. For 40 years, she's worked in ministry, speaking, writing, leading, and mentoring young women. She's the founder and executive director of Pine Hills Girls Camp in Jackson, Michigan, and Be Love Revolution in Ann Arbor. Ministries that help young women encounter Christ and empower them to be His love to everyone. She's written five books, co-authored a few more with her husband, Peter. They live in Ann Arbor, have four adult children and nine grandchildren. And her talk this morning, I am not afraid. I was born for this. Courage in challenging times helps us to know better our true identity and to be courageous, confident ambassadors for Christ in the workplace. My friends, please, give a rousing Catholic Business Network welcome to Debbie Herbeck. Thank you, Mike. That was, without a doubt, the most thorough, enthusiastic introduction I've ever been given, so I appreciate that. We should record you and uh, have you promote everything we do. All right, I'm going to turn this on. 
Thank you. I am so glad to be here this morning. I'm not a morning person. I'm just going to put that out there. So um, I will be waking up as I'm speaking to you. Um, but especially glad to be here um, in the Toledo area. I feel like looking out, there's so many friends um, and co-workers in Christ that I see among amongst us here today. And um, really, really feel like we've been neighbors and partners in the gospel for a long time. How many of you know or have heard my husband, Peter, speak? Oh, shoot. No. <laughs> I always like going somewhere where I ask and no one raises their hand. I'm like, yes. Um, but no, he, he loves um, everything he's done in the diocese here, um, particularly with, with the men who are here and the ways he's been able to serve. Um, so um, this quote that I've kind of titled my talk with, it, um, I am not afraid for God is with me. I am, was born for this little quiz. Does anyone know who actually said that? Bridget? St. Joan of Arc. Very good. Give this lady another cup of coffee. Nice job. This quote, which has um, been attributed to um, a devout 17-year-old woman, um, a medieval French girl, who courageously responded to divine messages that she received and led troops into battle in the darkest, most challenging times in the country of France, um, that really in the midst of political and um, religious leadership that was failing, uh, threats on her life, her own inexperience, um, and ultimate martyrdom really has become um, a tremendous witness and inspiration to many of us, um, not just women, but many of us as a saint who really knew how to obey God in the midst of challenging times. And so it's from her that I draw my inspiration for what I want to share today, um, and also the inspiration that I like to hold up to the young women that we're working with about what it really means to live courageously. So those are some of the thoughts that I want to share with you today. I think we can all agree that we have seen a dramatic um, decline and change in our culture in the last five to 10 years. Is everybody on board with that? Okay. So I don't want this just to be a bad news talk, the Debbie Downer talk, where you know you leave here feeling like, oh, really? Uh, did you have to tell us all that stuff we already know? But it's important to put this message in context about the culture and what's happening in the culture. I think we can all agree that we live in, in what we can call a post-Christian era, um, that Christendom is no longer the prevailing um, attitude and sentiment and um, cultural milieu, milieu that we live in. Um, I think we can all agree on that. Um, I remember um, Pope Benedict in 2005, so 16 years ago, um, said this. Um, he said, the real problem at this moment of our history is that God is disappearing from the human horizon. And with that dimming of the light which comes from God, Humanity is losing its bearings. Humanity is losing its bearings with increasingly evident destructive effects. And he said, when we forget God, we no longer see the image of God in our neighbor. Prophetic, and we're seeing that um, come to bear in our culture in a very strong way. 
Normally, I don't like to read a lot of things that other people say, but my husband recently, um, since you know Peter, you know he's a good source of information. Um, he's my source of information for many things. Recently sent me a talk that um, Archbishop Gomez of Los Angeles recently gave. Has anyone had an opportunity to hear that? Okay, so this was in Spain. He gave it virtually. But I just want to read a little clip because um, he's echoing what Pope Benedict has said, um, and I think it's important in the context of what I want to say, um, and you can find that address online as well. But this is a point that struck me that I think is very relatable to all of us, and then I'm going to get to some of the good news. Um, he said, an elite leadership class has risen in our countries that has little interest in religion and no real attachments to the nations they live in or to local traditions or cultures. This group, which is in charge in corporations, governments, universities, the media, and in the cultural and professional establishments, wants to establish what we might call a global civilization built on a consumer economy and guided by science, technology, humanitarian values, and technocratic ideas about organizing society. In this elite worldview, there is no need for old-fashioned belief systems and religions. In fact, as they see it, religion, especially Christianity, only gets in the way of the society they hope to build. For years now, there has been a deliberate effort in Europe and America to erase the Christian roots of society and to suppress any remaining Christian influence. The space that the church and believing Christians are permitted to occupy is shrinking. Church institutions and Christian-owned businesses are increasingly challenged and harassed. The same is true for Christians working in education, healthcare, government, and other sectors. Holding certain Christian beliefs is said to be a threat to freedoms and even to the safety of other groups in our societies. Can anyone resonate with Archbishop's words? Yes. So not only prophetic, but actually have, has come to pass. And I just wanted to read that again because I feel like he articulates so clearly what really is happening in this vision of, of how the church is being marginalized throughout the world today. So for us as Catholics who are committed to the church and to the spread of our faith, how and why can we say today with St. Joan of Arc, I am not afraid, for God is with me. I was born for this. So that's what I want to talk about a little bit. Why, why aren't we afraid? How can we walk courageously and confidently in the culture that we live in? And I want to talk about three things, and three things that struck me right away. And as I was preparing this and even writing some of them down, I thought, this is so basic. This is so fundamental. But the reality is there really is nothing new under the sun. And as believers in Christ and, and members of the church, we want to go back to what was brought into the world more than 2,000 years ago by our Savior. We're not trying to recreate and reinvent the wheel. We're not trying to come up with something that Jesus has not already passed on through the apostles in the church. So very basic, very fundamental, but these are truths that I believe we need to hear and hold on to every single day. I'm not afraid because I know who I am, first and foremost. 
As Catholics, we must be firmly and deeply rooted in our identity as Christians. Christianity isn't just about how to behave, it's about who we are, and maybe more specifically, whose we are. Everything we do within our families, our parishes, our workplaces, the public arena, flows from the fundamental reality that I am a daughter of God, that you are a son of God, that we are children of God. And I wanna say in 40 years of doing ministry, especially with young people and particularly with young women, the question and the quest that we tackle the most with these young people is who am I? And if we don't know who we are, how are we as parents and grandparents, as godparents, able to communicate that to the young people who are struggling with that question of identity. And as our culture moves further away from the ground of reality, um, where one can just self-create and decide who they are in any given moment, depending on the emotional uh, temperature of what's going on, um, we need to be rooted in this truth more than ever before because it's not self-evident to a lot of people who they are. So who am I? This isn't a status or um, something we earn or gain through achievement or hard work or earning our worth, um, proving our worth. This identity piece is a gift and it's a gift that's bestowed on us by God um, through no merit of our own. We receive that from God. Think about Jesus. Can I, quiz you guys a little bit. Is that okay? All right. So when did Jesus receive his identity? Jesus as a man on earth. Anybody know? Bible scholars. When did Jesus first receive his identity? Molly. At his baptism. Yes. Very good. You all knew that too. You're just too shy to say it. So... <clears throat> Jesus didn't receive, his, <clears throat> didn't receive his identity after he proved to the Father that he had accomplished his mission. He received it before he began his mission. And we all know the scene in scripture where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And it, in his baptism, a voice is heard. And what is the voice that is heard? Do you remember what is, what is said over Jesus? Thank you. This is my beloved son with who I'm well pleased. That's the father bestowing the identity on the son. And what comes upon him is the Holy Spirit. And this is the first time in the Gospels where the whole Trinity is present. The father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus then, where does he go after his baptism? See, I'm really pressing you here. Where does he go? into the desert, thanks Rich. He goes into the desert to prepare for the mission that the Father has for him. And in the desert, as he's praying, as he's fasting, as he's seeking God, who comes to him? Devil, all right, you guys are warming up, good job. <laughs> the devil comes to him and the devil begins to tempt him. And the, the line the devil uses is really important for us to see because Jesus has just received his identity. And what does he say to him? If what? 
if you are who? If you are the son of God. This is a direct assault on his identity. If you are the son of God. Jesus passes with flying colors because he knows who he is. And this is the same assault that the devil uses on us. If you are a daughter of God, if you are a son of God. So the devil's not, not very original at all. But this is the same assault that he uses on us. <clears throat> How many of you were baptized as babies? Okay, anyone here that wasn't baptized as a baby? Five man, yeah, right, yep. <clears throat> I was a baptized um, as an 18 year old in a swimming pool in Ann Arbor um, after a very dramatic conversion, which I don't have time to tell you about today, maybe another time. Um, but for those of you that raised your hand as a baby, how many of you remember that day? Babies, no, okay. <laughs> Unless you were a very large baby, you probably don't remember it. <clears throat> But what I want to tell us that we believe as Catholics is the same thing that happened to Jesus is the same thing that happened to us in our baptism. That when we're baptized as babies or even as adults, the Father is there and he pours out his spirit on us. And the voice that's heard, even though we don't hear it and we don't experience it, in reality what's happening is the Father is saying, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I'm well pleased. This is who you are. This is your identity. And then we spend the rest of our life along with our parents and our godparents and people in our faith community helping us form and take hold of that identity and live in that identity. Amen? All right. <clears throat> And that identity that we're given as children of God, as sons and daughters of God, are intended to help us walk with purpose in the midst of a dark world. St. Paul says it so beautifully. He says, we are to walk as children of light in this dark world. That comes from our identity. It doesn't come from our doing. None of us carries a bigger light as a child of God. We all carry the light that's within us because of that identity that's been given to us as a gift. And so like Jesus, we too are given that mission. We're called into the mission of Christ when we receive that identity and that mission grows and becomes more apparent as we grow closer to him. Jesus really had only one mission and that was to do the will of the Father. Last year, um, we spent some time um, with the girls, the high school girls studying the Gospel of John. And I've read a lot of scripture over the years and a lot of scripture studies, but for some reason that year was very different for me. And I fell in love with the Father in a new way. So if you haven't read the Gospel of John in an intentional way in a long time, I challenge you to do that because it's all about Jesus' love for the Father and what his mission and his life was all about. <clears throat> so what does it mean that we are called children of God, that we have this intense love for the Father and want to do what Jesus did? Um, and this is really our mission in the world as well, is to make the Father known, which is why Jesus came. So as I've grown in my love for the Father and my identity as a daughter of God, it's freed me 
from fear of the future because I know who I am. It's freed me from fear of men and the desire to please men, this desperate need to be affirmed or um, to be seen as valuable or to be praised or rewarded by others because I feel like my identity is more firmly rooted in. I just want to know what God thinks about me. Now, I'm not perfect in this, but I've really been able to grow in that. And when we're more deeply rooted in who we are or whose we are, we're just free to do the will of the Father, to enter into his mission with joy and to live in confident hope. And that is getting more difficult to do in this day and age, which is why we need to know who we are. We need to draw strength and conviction about that from that fundamental identity. <clears throat> so besides, besides needing to know who we are, the identity piece, as Catholics, we need to be firmly and deeply rooted in the truth about who God is. And as God is disappearing from the horizon, that's becoming less and less evident. Who is the true Jesus? Everyone has their own opinion about that, however it fits their social agenda, but we need to know who God really is. And we need to more than ever need to know the Christian story and to proclaim it in all its beauty and truth and power. So if I were to say here, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. Um, I only do that with teenagers. Um, if I were to say to anybody here, what is the Christian story? Can you sit down and can you tell it to your neighbor? Can you tell it to your kids? Can you tell it to your spouse? Can you tell it to yourself? Do you know the narrative? Because it's disappearing in this culture and in this world. It's relevance, it's meaning. And we more than ever need to know it. I'm not saying we all have to get up and preach it on a table like Peter Herbeck would do. <laughs> but we need to know it in our own hearts so that it's immovable and we need to know it so that we can communicate it to those that God's calling us to. So the story, and there's very, there's so many great ministries that know how to articulate this so beautifully, but to be able to know that we are created in the image of God, that we're called to a life of union with him, and that through our sin we've been alienated from God and from one another, and we live in the shadow of death. But by the mercy of God and his love for each one of us, we're saved through the dying and rising of Christ. And God, Jesus reconciles us to God and to our neighbors and gives us the grace to be transformed in his image. He calls us to follow him in faith, loving God and our neighbor, working to build the kingdom of God on earth, all in the confident hope that we will have eternal life with him one day in the world to come. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen to that. That's the short form of that story. We need to know that and we need to lay hold of it in a deep way. The reason we need to know and proclaim this story, two reasons. One, it's true. It's true. The second is, as Bishop Gomez so beautifully articulated, there is now a rival story, a competing story out there a narrative that we hear being told in the media and in institutions. And so we need to know what the story is. <clears throat> story, the competing story, we've all heard snatches of it. We see it all the time. 
the story goes a little bit like this is probably all there is here on earth. This is really the story that I grew up with um, as a young Jewish girl, um, a secular Jew. The one with the most toys wins. Uh, I definitely grew up with that one, uh, living on the North Shore in the Chicago area. Money, possessions, prestige, power. Our emotions determine who we are and it's wrong to repress or to deny them. The Christian narrative is outdated, irrelevant, old-fashioned. It keeps people, especially intelligent people, enslaved and doesn't lead to true freedom. Have any of you heard inklings of this? We all have, right? This is the pipeline for young people today. This is the message they are hearing and looking at 24-7. And if we don't speak a message that's louder and clearer, that will be the narrative they will live by. They already are. Talk to a fifth grader. It's happening. God's story says we're made for more. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. I'm sure you've heard of it. He said, if I find in myself a desire with, with, with which nothing in this world can satisfy, it must mean I was made for another world. The world says, if I find in myself a desire with nothing else can satisfy, I'm going to change myself so I can satisfy that. C.S. Lewis says something really different of God's story. God's story says that this life is only the dress rehearsal. It's only the first course of an eternal banquet that we've been invited to in heaven, that we're just passing through. We're just sojourners on the way. This isn't our final resting place. And that the physical created realities that we see around us are intended to reflect the beauty and the goodness and the greatness of our creator. We were recently, um, I do a lot of retreats with junior high and high school girls and um, as dim as it seems, especially for young people in the messages, there is so much opportunity right now to proclaim the truth. And young people are like sponges. The problem is they're just absorbing the wrong things. So I remember recently in this fall, we went, um, this, by, by the way, this is Molly. Molly and I work together. Um, she's our worship leader. Um, and Molly and I and a, and a small team went to do a retreat for seventh and eighth grade girls. <sighs> yeah, um, love that age, but pretty rough. Um, in a very, um, very wealthy parish school in the Ann Arbor area. And um, these very, a lot of what I'd say is more nominal Catholicism. And we really, as we prayed, we felt like the Lord said, give them the gospel message. And in part of me was like, what if they don't like it? And I felt like Jesus said, I don't care. Like this might be honestly their only opportunity to hear the gospel message in a clear way and to have have young women who are um, vibrant witnesses of what it means to be Catholic actually talk with them and speak with them and witness to them. And so we did it. We went in and we proclaimed the gospel message in a way, obviously, that they could hear it. And it was a little bit daunting. I mean, seventh graders are scary, especially seventh grade girls. But, and we don't know the results. We planted seeds. I felt like we do what we got, what God told us to do. But just the importance of staying on message 
not being afraid. And, you know, the Lord convicted my heart to say, do you believe in the power of this message? Do you believe that when you proclaim the truth about who I am, that this has the power to change lives? Yes, Lord, I believe it. It has the power to change my life. So we need to continue in the areas the Lord's calling us to, to not be afraid to proclaim that message. So as we're being rooted in this truth of the story, we need to root ourselves. And that means scripture. That means the teachings of the church. Um, it means the life of the church, uh, the sacraments, all of that that roots us in the truth. And we need to stand on the promises of God. About three years ago, we had a group of high school girls that came to us and said, we began to sense the Lord was saying, you need to root them more deeply in the truth, the truth of who I am, because there, there's so many truths out there. So we had a group of high school girls come to us and said, they said, we want to study scripture. And we're like, great. And they said, we don't want homework um, and we don't have any time. I'm like, okay, well, you figure out when you want to meet and we will be there. And so they said, how about 6.30 in the morning um, on a school day? And I said, we're there. And so for three years, we've been meeting on Tuesday mornings. And in the summer, we continue to meet at 9, not 6.30. Um, we began in coffee shops. Now we meet in our office for an hour. And it has borne so much fruit. I think right now we've got at least 20 girls who come consistently every single week. And then they walk, some of them drive across the street to the local Catholic high school. Some of them are homeschooled. There's a few that go right into the public high school. And they said, I feel a little bit like Joan of Arc. I feel like I'm getting equipped and armored to go into those places with the truth of who I am and who God is. Scripture, scripture, the sword of the spirit. Um, so we need to arm ourselves in the truth about who God is. It bears fruit. I gotta keep an eye on the time here. Um, I love this quote by Maximilian Kolbe, St. Maximilian Kolbe. He said, no one in the world can change truth. What we can do and should do is to seek truth and to serve it when we have found it. So the importance of knowing what the truth is and serving that truth. We've all found the truth. I don't think anyone would be here this morning if they hadn't found that truth. As Catholics, we don't just worship on Sundays. We're called to worship God with every single part of our lives. And so standing in that truth means I'm standing in it. I'm walking in it, <clears throat> even if no one else is coming with me. We may get to that day, brothers and sisters, um, where that happens has to happen, but we're standing in that truth and walking with Jesus. <clears throat> Practicing our faith, particularly in the public area, the workplace, schools, etc., is and will become increasingly more difficult. We're going to see religious freedoms, we already are, <clears throat> excuse me, violated, um, silence will be required, accommodations will be needed to be made or asked to be made, We'll be asked to tolerate things that are wrong. Um, and this requires tremendous courage from us to be able to stand in this. There's lots of definitions of courage that you've heard. Fulton Sheen has one I really like. It's very simple. He said, the secret of courage is, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
This is Joan of Arc. I am not afraid, for God is with me. I was born for this. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. <clears throat> okay, so knowing who we are, knowing who God is, knowing the truth isn't enough. We need to walk the walk. We need to be credible witnesses of this truth. I believe there's no greater scandal to the cross of Christ than to say one thing and do another. It's incredibly confusing and it brings tremendous grief um, to the Lord's heart. People see our love for the Father by how we love one another. I remember before I was a Christian, a believer, and I had never really been around Christians before at all until I got to the University of Michigan and didn't really know very much about Jesus. And I remember I was at some gathering at some house on campus with Christians. I don't even know how I got there. Um, but they were singing a song, you probably remember it's from way back, this will date me. Do you remember the song, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love, by our love? Yeah, do you remember that? And I thought, this is the weirdest song ever. I was like, what does this even mean? I mean, I wasn't a believer. I didn't know anything about Jesus. Um, and then I met him and I began to understand how much we reflect that love and the love of Jesus and how important it is that people can see Christ in us. <clears throat> One of the greatest questions that I love people to ask me that I've had privilege of being asked a few times in my lifetime as a believer is, what do you have that I don't have? It's a great question to be asked. What do you have that I don't have? And then we get to give them the answer and tell them what that is. This is a very daunting, um, convicting scripture in 1 John. Um, he says, whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Every person we meet throughout our day, every person you will meet today in the course of your business, your family, bears the image and likeness of God, even if that image is scarred, distorted, damaged, or bruised like it is in each of us, we all bear the image of God. And every human heart has the capacity to know him and to love him and to serve him. And so perhaps in any moment of our day today, God is going to give me the opportunity to help somebody know them truth and to understand their dignity and their value as a human. This is a great adventure that we share is to be able to communicate God's love to others and to one another, but it starts within the body of Christ. So we love as Jesus has loved us. Molly and I were talking about this last night with a group of senior girls, without discrimination, without limit, without preferences. Yes, we need to stick together as the body of Christ and be unified, um, but we can't just live in our little Catholic bubble. We have to love the people God's calling us to love. It's very important. And we're actually finally called to love our enemies and to do them good. That's from the Bible, actually. Um, maybe few of us have true enemies, maybe some of us do, but we all have those who have hurt us, rejected us, challenged us, 
and think differently from us, and we are called to love those people as well. And if we refuse to forgive, if we allow bitterness or resentment, division or dissension within the body of Christ, but even within our society to fester and flow, we give the enemy a foothold and bring scandal to the message of the gospel. Does anyone know the thing Jesus prayed for, not in the garden, but as he was um, praying his high priestly prayer in John 17, what is the thing most on his heart that he prayed for? That we may be one. Unity. You got it. Of all the things he could have prayed for, he could have prayed, Lord, let them believe that it's me in the Eucharist, whatever, you know? Um, he prayed for unity. And so this is the part where our love can be expressed is God's heart is for unity, that we all might be one. And so we want to do everything we can to preserve unity. How many of you would agree with me that we're seeing a lot of dissension and disunity? Okay. Not, with, not only within the broader culture, but even within the church. And so there's that call to preserve unity as the Lord's heart so dearly desired. Remember reading uh, Mother Teresa's My Favorite Saint of All Time, and I had an opportunity to meet her many years ago. But um, I remember hearing a story where a bunch of influential, I think businessmen or leaders, government leaders came to Mother and they said, Mother, what can we do to change the world? You know what she said? Go home and love your family. And they're probably like, oh, really? That's it? Go home and love your family. So this is the call to love those, not just out there. But tonight I have to go home and love my husband, okay? I can't just love all of you. I have to go home and love my husband. And I have to go home and love my my grandchildren, my adult children, and the people right within my home that are honestly often the hardest to love. Not just because they're my family, but we all experience that, which is my mother was so insistent upon it. All right, and finally, the secret weapon throughout all the ages in dark times that breathes life and hope into the church is holiness. This is it, the secret weapon. And we know that there have been martyrs and saints that have been forged in difficult times, in pain, in suffering, and become like gold. And this is the gold that glitters in the, in the midst of darkness. And it comes mostly through their small, hidden acts of love and sacrifice and surrender to God. And it has a power and a ripple effect that still motivates and inspires us years later and finds relevance for our time. Man, I've heard so many people lately quoting St. Catherine of Siena, um, St. Francis of Assisi. It's people that lived, you know, centuries ago, and their message and their lives have relevance for our times today. And they were all characterized by this attractive force of love. This is a thing that defeats darkness, will defeat darkness. It's like an invisible superpower within the church that strengthens and renews marriages, that holds families together, that will revitalize the church, and that will give rebirth to civilizations. I am confident of that. And so how many of you are grandparents here? Do we have grandparents here? Okay. And got a lot of parents as well. There is a legacy of love that the Lord is calling us, love and faith, to pass on to our children and to our grandchildren. 
that is so important. The mission is right in front of us. And what a privilege and an honor to be able to do that. The world and the flesh and the devil cannot and will not have my grandchildren. They absolutely won't if I have anything to do about it in cooperation with God. So the, the mission is right, ahead, right in front of us to pass this on, to pass on the sense of who are you, what's your identity? Audrey Herbeck, nine years old, I'm gonna call you on the phone and I'm gonna visit you and I'm gonna tell you till you're sick of hearing it that you are a daughter of God, that you are beloved, that you have a mission and a purpose and a destiny in this life and that you are made for more. We can all do that right where God has put us. And so we have to believe that God is in control and we have to trust him more deeply. Have we lost the culture? Probably, I don't know, maybe, but we are not the first Christians that have been in conflict with the prevailing culture. Sometimes you hear the word unprecedented change and we forget there are other cultures and civilizations that have been through things like this as well. We have to remember that God is always at work and he is winning this battle. It's already been won. And winning and losing isn't defined by this cultural moment. It's, he's so much bigger than that. We belong to a larger story of redemption that allows us to endure trials and persecution, to love our enemies, to do good, and to live despite the culture around us. So I want to challenge and encourage each of us to walk in faith and not in fear, to let these challenging times press us closer to Jesus and to one another, to not work in isolation, but to collaborate together in this mission the Lord has given us. In this extraordinary time in history, the Lord wants to raise up saints. One last story and I'll close. We were recently at a junior high um, ministering to eighth graders, different school, um, who have real authentic faith in Jesus. And we were there on All Saints Day. And I said to these eighth grade girls, I said, girls, think about this. In a hundred years from now, there might be an eighth grade girl that's gonna pick you as their confirmation saint. And they were like, that's so cool. The hope that God right now is raising up saints. Perhaps there are saints in this room right now around us. Perhaps you will give birth to a saint. <laughs> this is what changes the world. This is the hope that we have. So let's trust him and believe that with, all, with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. 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 All right, thanks for listening. God bless you. <clears throat> father of an eighth grader who thinks science is the answer. Um, what could turn the tide? Um, I do believe that personal conversion is the key to all of this. Um, I think helping people, but particularly young people, encounter Christ. I mean, he's, it's it. So, I mean, I, I think we're, we've moved away from that even in the church. We're way too programmatic. We're way too informational. Information doesn't change hearts. Um, 
it, you know, it barely stays within our mind. And young people especially will walk away from the church, will run away from the church if they do not encounter Christ in a personal way, in a life-changing way. And this is the point of like, do we believe in the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus to actually change human hearts? I mean, that's why I'm here. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be here doing it. That's why many of you are here because not because of information, not because of theological knowledge or understanding. And the church, I believe, is pretty programmatic, still pretty programmatic. Like, how can we give information? Catechetics are, are wonderful and necessary, but they don't precede evangelization necessarily. And if we're not evangelizing our young people and giving them opportunities to encounter Christ, um, the world's message will be the strongest voice in their head. And it, it will win over, especially in a world that's so um so focused on kind of the rational mind so and this you have an eighth grader who's so fo focused on science i mean years ago that would have been exceptional is it a boy or a girl it's a boy okay then an eighth grade boy is like you know thinking about science i mean he's probably an amazing kid but i'm just saying where our culture and our society that we even have these young kids like pondering these questions that maybe aren't even relevant to their life right now is is Part of that is social media and what they're being fed, you know, the messages are being fed through social media. So I think if you can get your son in in environments where he can really authentically meet Christ, it's a game changer. First of all, not live in fear, like to be confident the Lord is with us and that he's gonna help us. Um, just in the day to day, you know, every day is a moment, an opportunity to help someone meet the love, meet Christ just through the way we love them, just to care for them, to want, care for one another's human people, you know, all the little things and just say, you know, it starts with our own hearts. How are we conceding in any way to the culture and even to the way the culture does things? So really simple things that I try and work on when I'm with our girls who are my workplace is I want to be attentive to them. I want to say the person in front of me right now, that girl I'm talking to, that eighth grader, um, that distracted sophomore, um, whoever it is, is the most important person right now. And I want to be attentive to that person. So for me, it's remembering names. It's remembering details of things they t tell me so I can go back to them and say, how's your grandma? I prayed for her putting down my phone uh, and being attentive and giving attention. So I think there's little ways just within like human ways that we can really share the love of Christ that isn't overbearing, that isn't like, oh, you're one of those, you know, Christians get away from me, you know, that kind of thing. But I think not living in fear. And then I just think being confident, credible witnesses of, of Christ, um, we cannot we don't need to confront everybody with the truth and hit them over the head, but I think we cannot just back away and concede and kind of run away either. Um, there are times to fight um, and there's times to love. Um, and I think that's something every person has to figure out in their own conscience with the Lord. Um, and then there's, you know, what that looks like. Um, so Joan of Arc knew when it was time to fight and she was ready to go to battle and she was ready to pay the price for it as well. So. Um, I think the saints can teach us a lot about what that looks like as well. All right, thank you again. In the sixth month, 
the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, the angel said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of David his father. And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I have no relations with a man? And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. It's a great honor to be with you on these uh, three-week journey to the presence of Christmas, and it's honored to have this hosted at Holy Trinity, and I get the privilege of being a part of this at each of the weeks, so it's a great honor to do that. And it's an honor because it really is a bit of a, a journey, a, a bit of a retreat, right? These days of Advent are supposed to have that kind of feel to that, uh, a, a re preparation, but kind of a spiritual preparation for Christmas. And in the hustle and bustle of the season, Sometimes we forget there should be a spiritual preparation because we're so focused on the material preparations for that great feast day. So these three weeks give us an opportunity to take a spiritual journey. And how beautiful that on this journey in this Advent season, the Blessed Mother Mary will be accompanying us. Because each of the three themes or focuses in scriptures have Mary at the very center of those passages. So the Blessed Mother Mary is accompanying us, is walking with us on this Advent journey, this presence for Christmas. Because she loves us, and she wants her joy to be our joy. She wants her Son to be our Savior. She wants God, who dwelled in her womb, to dwell within our lives. And so Mary journeys with us on this. She accompanies us. She takes us closer to her son. The presence of Christmas is the ability to, to have Christ more that presence within our life. And as, as Greg mentioned, before Mary conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, God within her womb, before her womb became the first tabernacle to hold the living God, she conceived God within her heart. And that's the call of every Christian, to see, conceive God within our heart, 
What does that mean to have the presence of Jesus within our heart? Mary gives us an example of that, because it sounds real pious, it sounds really beautiful, but what's it mean on my day-to-day? What's it mean when I leave here? What's it mean in my relationships in my home or my work environment or, or my prayer life? Mary shows us what it means. Mary shows us that to have that indwelling of the eternal God within us and that that joy may be real, we must be able to submit our will to the will of God. The will of God and our will must be aligned so properly that we're constantly in the state of his presence, always beckoning to listen and be coached and guided at each moment of the day. Our will, the will of God the Father, complete alignment. And Mary shows us that today, doesn't she? The beautiful passage of the Annunciation we have, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. And it's interesting, isn't it? That God sends important messages for all of us. God sent the most important message for all of humanity to Mary via another voice, an angel. So be mindful that God does speak to us through those around us. So the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, one of the great spiritual fathers writes about this occasion, this moment in time, this great moment of anticipation, the the hunger of the human heart had grown so hungry for salvation, having been lost in darkness of sin for century upon century and generation upon generation. But in that moment of time, all things came together. And it would be a moment where Mary's will would need to be in complete alignment with the Father for her to conceive God within her womb. Her will had to be complete alignment Well, the Church Fathers writes that in the heavens, there are all the angels looking down upon this moment. And they were waiting in bated breath. Mary has been given a call to allow her life to be completely surrendered to the will of the Father. Will she allow her will to be aligned with the will of the Father? And they wait in bated breath. Because they don't know, as God knows. And so finally Mary says, let it be done unto me according to thy word. And with that, the angels rejoice. Because now the completion of God's plan of salvation can begin in the womb of Mary how important it was for Mary's will to be aligned to the will of the Father so that she could be an instrument of salvation. We ask ourselves, how well is my will in alignment to the will of the Father? That's just something we have to consider each and every day. 
sometimes our wills can be so strong, so stubborn, that the will of the Father has no place in us. So Mary tells us each and every day her fiat. I am but a handmaid of the Lord, let it be done unto me. That's our prayer each and every day. In those challenging moments, in those dark times, in confusion, in sadness, I am but a handmaid, a handservant of the Lord. Let it be done unto me according to thy will. This is not a one and done kind of thing. This is a daily, daily surrender. And we begin the surrender, we renew the surrender at this time of prayer. We will bring our blessed Lord down from the burning bush here to the center aisle. And we will invite you to come forward to adore him. Uh, would you do that though, I would say one more time, Lord, once again, I give my will completely to you so that your will may unfold in my life. Kind of let that be your prayer or your meditation as you approach him in this blessed sacrament.